When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmett, it's the international break, and called up today for me are oh, Theo Squires. How are you, Theo? Yeah, I'm alright. It's been a, a bit quiet in the office, isn't it, this yeah. week? With uh, I think Dolly's had a couple of days off. Of course, he's got his out of office on, but yeah. we soldier on. Yeah, we always do in the international break, and Steve Killen, you're soldiering on this morning, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. I've been got the international fever. I think I'm very much in love with this international break. I think. I hope that's sarcasm. Yeah, very much yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's just hard going, isn't it? I, you know, I always find. Well, we, we've talked at length about it, but Liverpool fans more than any other team, I think, switch off during the international break. It always comes so, at the wrong moment as well, like when you want yeah. that run of games to get consistency, yeah. to get momentum, and then it just shuts you down. Especially during the early part of the season. I mean, you feel like every couple of weeks there's another one and there'll be another one in November and um, yeah it's just not what you need so today we thought um, we'll speak about some little bits and bobs of breaking news this morning um, but we think that we'll probably go into just the, the, the opening start of the season the first eight games winners losers good teams bad teams what we expect out of Liverpool and maybe look ahead to January as well but we'll start with a little bit of breaking news overnight Theo um, Andy Robertson Looks like he's, he's sort of hurt his shoulder, it might be a dislocation. Um, I mean, international breaks are always bad, but these are the reasons why people really dislike them, don't they? Because this is a real blow for Liverpool. Yeah, Andrew Robertson, he's a key player, isn't he? He's barely missed a game under Jurgen Klopp. I think that's the reason Costa Simicas has barely had a look, and he's only started like 18 Premier League games in his entire Liverpool career. And it's that injury that you didn't want to be one of the key players. If it was one of the fringe ones, you can sort of get by for a few weeks. But when there was that big debate in the summer on whether Liverpool should sign a centre-back, and let's be honest, it was a left-sided centre-back who would have covered yeah. for the left-back position. It would have competed with Simicast and Robertson. So to have Robertson now struck down, you'd imagine, if best-case scenario, you're looking at a few games where he's going to be out. Steve Clark said, we're hoping he could be back for the November international break. Well, that's still a month mm-hmm. where Liverpool could be without him. And while you've got Simicast covering the interim, mm-hmm. uh, you're looking really short behind him there. Luke Chambers, he didn't really play much in pre-season because of injury. He was linked with a move away. He made his uh, debut in the League Cup game against Leicester. I think maybe he could start now against Bournemouth. Joe Gomez is an alternative, but yeah. one defensive injury away there and Liverpool looking really short. And when they've not exactly been solid defensively so far this season, it's the last thing they need. Well, that was the worry, wasn't it, Steve, going into, um, going into the season that it felt like Liverpool had made some good signings in the summer, but they also hadn't really gone as far, perhaps, as they needed to. And, and in doing so, left themselves with that in that precarious position of one, two injuries. Um, what do you think of Simicast? Do you trust him to, to fill that role? I mean, there's a bit more asked of that player now, isn't there, with, with the way Trent moves into midfield? You have to be a bit more defensively minded. Yeah, and I think we've seen it against, um, against Leicester. He's not entirely comfortable in some positions, mm-hmm. in some instances in, in, in the game. And... I think Liverpool fans are sorted. The jury's very much still out on him, and there is a case there. So maybe it's going to have to be a bit of patience with him as well. But he has shown some um, some frailties, and he obviously sort of got dispossessed for the goal against yeah. Leicester. And 
So it comes at a bad time for, for Robertson because he'll be obviously be festering over that mistake that sort of led to Brighton's equaliser. I just think it's a big opportunity for Simicast and it's almost parallels with what Robertson had when, when he came in with Moreno. It's a, it's a chance for him to cement a space because he'd never really had a, a solid run of games. Yeah, he's always sort of rotating. I'm, I'm not sure on Simicast. I think attacking wise, he's great. You know, I, I really like some of his crossing. He's got a different style, I think, to. Um, to Robertson in the, in the sense that I think Simicast likes to get to the byline a bit more, likes to, to sort of lift them up a little more, whereas Robertson whips them from deeper. But um, defensively, I just don't think he's he's as switched on as Robertson. I, I think that's a worry. Um, the, the other piece of news this morning, Max Bell, um, the old RB Leipzig director of football linked with Liverpool, some reports in build claiming that Liverpool have made contact with him, but Bayern Munich are also interested. Sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know whether it's just a two and two together makes four situation, but it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, Liverpool have bought a lot of players from the Red Bull group. He's obviously been responsible for a lot of those signings. Yeah, you can piece it together quite well like that. It's players that Liverpool have admired in the past. It's that model they admire. Mm-hmm. We know they've had contacts with the Red group, Bull group for a, a while now because they wanted to go and have a look a few years ago and see how it was all run. Um, but then it's just a case of wait and see what's happening with the sporting directors. We know uh, Schmachter's got a year contract, I believe. Mm-hmm. I know there was talk about them maybe having a break point after the summer window or into October now, and it seems like he's still in the job. Certainly had no whispers that he's leaving anytime soon, so you'd like to think that he's got his attentions fully switched on for uh, January. But then Liverpool, they brought him out of retirement, essentially. He was semi-retired. Yeah. So maybe it is something that Liverpool are going to have to look at in the, the near future. The next sporting director again, um, we just wait and see. Like Bayern Munich, that's a big lure for any German sporting director. Mm-hmm. Like you've got that all those finances there. You know you're going to be competing for trophies. It's pressure, but you'd imagine for them it could be that that dream job. So we'll see. Like Schmachter in the end, he, he didn't do the worst job, did he? I know there were some negative comments about how the moves for a holding midfielder went, but he still got in three, four good, solid midfielders. It wasn't exactly the biggest budget Liverpool have to spend, considering they missed out on Champions League football yeah. and everything. Um, so yeah, just wait and see what happens yeah. in January. See what goes on before beyond that. But Smacker, I, I I just don't feel strongly that he he wasn't good in the summer. I think like he did, you know, if, if that had been Julian Ward, I don't think we would have been really critiquing him and, and complaining. I think Schmacker, because of his reputation, is getting a little bit more negativity towards him. I mean, I I think if you look at it, the 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 Dominic Sabozlai deal now looks like a masterstroke, and, and and you know he, he moved quickly, got him over a couple of days. Um, McAllister, I think, was obviously set up before he came in, but um, you know Endo, well, he was cheap, wasn't he? So I don't think, I don't think you look at Endo and go, well, he's not really the making of, of Schmacker, is he? And and, and they got Gravenberch over the line, and I know they had to buy their time, but I think anyone would have had to buy their time over him. So like you say, with the budget he probably had to work with, I think he's probably. Even if three out of those four work out, there's a rethink along the way as well, wasn't there? Like yeah. The fact that they had to go, oh, we need more midfielders because we mm. lost Fabinho and Anderson. Yeah. Like, that, that wasn't planned. So for Liverpool yeah. to have to readjust completely, and we know they would have been looking at a defender before that. Yeah. It, it wasn't the easiest for Salama for them. They still built a very good midfield out of it, even if you're looking at it and going, they, yeah. they still need to hold him, man. In case I don't love you, whatever you think about that, I think I look at it. Like obviously Chelsea laid the groundwork for Caicedo over a number of months, well before Schmacker was at Liverpool, and and well before he had a chance to sort of enter that race. He probably didn't even know he could have been in that race until they'd sold Fabinho and Henderson, and then suddenly Liverpool go, yeah, we've got the money, and I, th- I think they were strung along by an agent. Yeah, it sounds I, I, like that, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that that was Schmacker 
completely misreading the situation. I just think they were so strung along. And then Lavia, well, I just think that probably Liverpool, and again, this isn't Schmacker, but Liverpool as a club decided, you know what, we don't want to go higher than a certain price. And yeah, Klopp I mean, certainly didn't think yeah. he was worth what he yeah. went for in the yeah. end. Has he even played for Chelsea yet? I know he's had an injury. Yeah, no, it's not exactly yeah. something you're missing out on there. Like if he comes to Liverpool, gets that injury, you're easing him in and you lose him for a couple of months. Then it's like, oh, what have we done here? We've signed a Naby Keita. Then you're giving even more stick to Schmachter for it happening in the first place. Yeah, so it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? But, um, you know, they definitely need a sporting direction to stay. I think, um, I think the challenge for someone like Max Abel is that you go from Leipzig where you can probably take more chances and you can probably buy younger players and some of them might work out, but the good ones that do, you sell them on. But if he goes to Liverpool or he does go to Bayern, then probably Bayern even more so because you look at Gravenberg, he didn't get really the chance there, did he? You, you don't. You can't take as many gambles. You've got to be right, haven't you? More often than not. Yeah, I think so. It's very much like a, a litmus test with these sort of players, isn't it? Where they, they don't really have a sink or swim. And whereas with, with Leipzig and Jamie in particular, you have enough time to bed in, and there's maybe not so much pressure. Uh, but I think with Smacker, he came in cold almost, didn't he? Where he was out. Yeah. It's like like Theo said, he was semi-retired, and then. But with with Abel, he sort of seems to make sense. Um, it seems like he aligns a lot more with Liverpool's sort of current yeah. philosophy. That young player. Yeah, but like you said, he probably is a difficult task compared to what he's used to because it's going to be a going to have to be more tried and tested young players rather than someone out of obscurity that I can sort of um, yeah. come in and play. But it seems to make sense for Liverpool. It's definitely fitting with the model that um, that they're going for with the younger players and sort of bringing that average age down. And I just think if if, if it, Liverpool did go for him and did beat Bayern, then it very much is a good um, good piece of business. But I think, like you said, it, if you see that. Um, same agent as Jürgen Klopp, and he had murmurs with Bayern Munich anyway. It might just sort of be a push towards one of the directions. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I, I think definitely feels like Klopp. You know, there's a lot of talk, and that Klopp has more power, which I just think I think is a bit overblown. Really, I think it's natural that after what seven years now um, in charge of the club, he would have more power. Um, and on top of that, he's earned the right to have a bit more power. But it, you know, I, I think obviously the, the agent thing and, and the fact that Liverpool have a good relationship with the um, the Red Bull clubs, Klopp is clearly involved in this one. If it if it is going to get over the line, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. We should wait and see. Theo, the other thing this week, Anfield Road obviously delayed until next year. Liverpool seem to be a little bit unclear on, on when that will be open. It's a difficult one, really, because there's a lot of people... I mean, rightfully, people who've bought tickets very angry with Liverpool and, and the way it's gone. Um, and they've got every right to be, you know, they've been messed around. But, you know, I, I find it hard to sort of really get annoyed with Liverpool because I don't really know what else they could have done. Probably not sort of the tickets in advance, but <laughs> they, they, then if they didn't and the, the stand opens it was empty, you'd criticise them that way, wouldn't you? So they've got to make plans, but... Um, yeah, like it's not a good look, is it? I suppose they clearly didn't expect it to still be ongoing. They didn't expect the contractor to go into administration, mm. and that's where these further delays have come from. Like, it, the plan was for it to be open at the start of the season, and well, we'll take a couple of games grace mm. from there because yeah. that's what we saw with the main stand a few yeah. years ago. And then obviously they go into administration. There's further delays that have to come off site, and then because the company's essentially not there anymore, um, there's no real handover. So yeah. it's a bit of a struggle for the new contractors to come in and yeah. see what's been done, pick up where they left off. Yeah. So it, it does take time. and You want it to be right. You want everything to be flawless. Yeah. And you know it's going to be 
a great atmosphere when it does open. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it being the top tier being closed has necessarily been damaging to Liverpool's atmosphere or anything. Oh, absolutely like it's still only a few thousand seats and it's still a lot bigger than it was before they made the first expansions mm. in the first place. And it's Liverpool when it's done will have a stadium that's over sixty thousand and that's what they've been wanting for twenty years. It'll overtake the Etihad as the fifth biggest in club football in England. So it, it's annoying. You want your fans in there. They've bought tickets, and there's some big games coming up at Anfield in the next couple of months that they'd have been looking forward to. And they're still going to find a way to get in the stadium. They're going to yeah. still make arrangements there, uh, and it's just working with what you've got. Still good atmosphere. It's still going to be a great stadium when it is done, and it already is a great stadium. Like Klopp yeah. said, what well, when the investment was confirmed, when FSG sold that minority stake, we're making that somehow going to make the best atmosphere in the world football even better. I'm not sure mm. how that's possible. So it's frustrating, but it's going to be exciting when it is done. Yeah, it is. It's just about biding time. I mean, Steve, I look at Anfield, you know, I'm, I'm 35, been going for a long time, and I, and I look at the way it's developed now. And bringing, if you bring a friend over that's never been, you're proud to show them, you know, that you walk around the stadium, the immediate surrounding area just looks, it looks a fit to, to hold a, a football match of, you know, the calibre that Liverpool hold. I mean, it, it is a magnificent place. Frustration, yeah, but. Is there much more Liverpool could have done? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's damned if you do and damned if you don't, really, isn't it? You, you can sort of reason with both sides of the argument. The Liverpool fans are going to be furious that they've been let down and there's money that's going to obviously be refunded eventually. But it just it's one of the difficult ones, isn't it, where, like Theo said, they are going to get back into the stadiums one way or another. But it just, I, did, I wonder what sort of impact it might have because you've got them big games coming up, haven't you? Obviously, it won't have too much of a detrimental impact on the... Um, on the atmosphere, but it could have just been another extra boost to Liverpool, maybe drive them on for that second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, if you remember back to when the main stand opened, I don't think it was a coincidence that that day they played so well against Leicester. They were the champions at the time, obviously, sort of beat them quite handily. Um, so it will be good when it opens. I'm, I'm sure we'll have more of that on that on the Echo website. Um, so let's look at the first eight games of the season. Um, going back there to the opening day against Chelsea, 1-1 draw. Um, going into that game, what were your hopes and expectations for Liverpool, especially in the early part of the season? Um, you know, did, did you have some reservations about some of the positions, or, or were you were you quite optimistic about about what they could do? Uh, I was a bit cautious, really. I still am because they don't have that proven older midfielder that we know can make the difference. Mm -hmm. Like Fabinho, when he came in, when he settled, he was a game changer. And mm -hmm. There is this big glaring hole in the middle of Liverpool's team at the moment, but it was even worse back then because they hadn't signed Endo and they haven't signed. Graven Birch and they were not feuding with Chelsea over Caicedo, but that was that back and forth of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was both a good and a bad time to be playing Chelsea mm -hmm. because obviously there were the weaknesses in the Liverpool team. Um, Chelsea had signed a lot of players and you expect them to be better than last year, but at the same time, you didn't know how quickly they would adapt. And as we've seen over the past couple of months, it, it's taken them time and they've only just started to put a couple of wins together. Um, in hindsight, a draw was a, a reasonable result, but then when you look at what happened after that, you think it was a good chance for Liverpool yeah. there. I, I think they had a goal disallowed, didn't they? they? They scored early on, they had the lead. Maybe they could have found a way to hold on, but then there were still the damages of last year when you're thinking, how good are we now? Like we've got a new team that we're putting together where it's not complete. Uh, we were very leaky defensively last year. You're still trying to learn what your level is, learn what you like playing with your new teammates and getting that confidence there. Um, so yeah, there's still caution there of what what is Liverpool's level. Jurgen Klopp doesn't know that himself. He's still saying we've got to wait and see what our ceiling is. But you still feel more encouraged from what has followed. Like the new signings have settled quickly. 
they've gone from strength to strength. The only reason they're not unbeaten in the Premier League is because of a dodgy official uh, or a dodgy few official decisions. Um, so, yeah, the Chelsea was a reasonable start. Could have been better. But on that day, that they were the side that looked more likely to get a winner. So it was a reasonable draw. I thought it was decent. I mean, I, I think it's to stay. It's a mindset shift, isn't it, for Liverpool? And and after a really difficult season last year, it felt like, you know, as well, big personalities leaving, some coming in. They felt quite fragile going into the open day. And I think over the course of those eight games, they've sort of slowly built themselves into a position where they're starting to believe that when they go away from home, they can go and get results. Um, you know, I think if you look at Man City, they've, they've lost opening day games and then got on. But I think in general, especially for Liverpool, their best seasons have come when they've started seasons well. They, 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 they generally have gained confidence throughout the early course of the season. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of positive signs in for the first eight games. Yeah, very much so. And I think it's, it's definitely chalk and cheese from last season where you, you don't know what team you're going to expect. Obviously, Liverpool find themselves going goals behind at times last season. And... He didn't sort of have the the balls to sort of back it up and come back, and they've, they've shown they've got that resilience and that vigor this season. It's been it's been a lot of a mentality shift, and I think Trent Alexander Arnold said that on the, on the podcast in the, in, in midweek where he, the players who are already there are coming in a lot more stronger, a lot more fitter, and a lot with a lot more desire to sort of mm-hmm. knock up corners and to put wrong the right or right the wrong sorry, and and I think it's just one of them things with with this season in particular where. It just seems different where the pressing's a lot more ferocious and it, and it just seems like a genuine sense of desire as last season it was a, a lot more lacking. But I think from what, what I can see, there's certain fallbacks and drawbacks from what Liverpool have shown where they're dropping standards against Union in the, um, in the Europa League and it sort of carries that hangover on for 35 minutes against Brighton and then the lapses in concentration at the back that sort of mm. go from maybe having a 3-1 lead to a 2-2 draw and it's just... If you're trying to battle with City and the teams at the top of the league, you can't really afford to drop those points, which Liverpool know well more than most teams. That's the sort of situation that you're in. Is it just a maturing process, though, Theo? You know, I look at the, the first eight games, and like Steve said, you've, you've seen the way they can come back from adversity, the, the way they they sort of have been looking really good at the top end of the pitch, and whatever combination it is, they seem to be able to make it work. But they do concede fairly easy or sloppy goals, you know they've conceded at poor times at times. Isn't it? Isn't it sort of a, a team trying to mature to not just the tactics the Klopp gives them? But I think Liverpool when they're at the best under Klopp, and they sort of went from being really really exciting in 2017-18 to marginally less exciting to, and I wouldn't say boring because they weren't boring because they had a magnificent attack, but they were certainly controlled. And and I think isn't it just going through those steps again for a football team where. Alexis McAllister plays a lot of risky passes, starts playing slightly fewer risky passes and, and starts sort of knowing when to open teams up and knowing when his teammates make runs and perhaps even just loses the, the, the desperate will to just impress and, and just knows that he's at Liverpool. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it's trickier for him as well because he is learning to a new position mm. and it's not just you are going to be a lone holding midfielder. You're a lone holding midfielder in this new formation that Liverpool are adapting yeah. to themselves. Like in a high-pressing team. In a well. high-pressing team, and it's a step up for him. It's the highest level he's played at club-wise. Yeah. Obviously, Argentina yeah. world champion, so it's a yeah. bit different internationally. But um, you'd like to think with time, he gets a bit more relaxed. He can bed in more. There isn't that pressure. He's not got to think every time he makes a mistake 
before he gives the ball away that he's then got to lunge in because he's picked up a few silly bookings mm -hmm. that way, hasn't he? But at the same time, I don't imagine that he finishes the season as the holding midfielder. I'd like to think Endo either comes on leaps and bounds or they sign someone in January. Maybe even they put Trent in there or um, and have like Bradley or Gomez right back or Gravenberch. So it's quite worry if, if they do finish the season with him. It is a concern. Something's there. gone wrong if they do finish it, the season with him. But then, as you say there, like, it's taken those steps. Well, it's basically how they had Henderson as that older midfielder early on in the, yeah, the Klopp true. reign. And they waited until they got the real enforcer and Fabinho. And it is going through these stages. Like No one really expected Liverpool to, after last year, sign three, four new midfielders and then win the title. Yeah. It's like, we're back to year one. We've got to get back into the Champions League. Then we've got to challenge for titles in the Champions League. And then we're going to win titles in the Champions League. And while football is rhythmic and you can't say it's going to copy it exactly, you'd like to think there is a pattern there. And it is just going to be a succession. You've got the players there that have won all these honours. Mm -hmm. that can breed that winning mentality into these players. And we've seen from Sivoslai, he hits the standard straight away. McAllister has had good moments. He's had some iffy moments too. But he's still getting there. And once that is a midfield that played together for six months, it's going to be a lot stronger. When you've got a defence that has been solid without the injuries, without the suspensions, has played together for six months, you'd like to think they're not conceding as many sloppy goals. And we can all just sit back and enjoy that front five because it doesn't matter who's starting in there. They're all scoring goals. Like we've said on podcasts before, Jota is not playing well, yet he's still scoring goals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nunes, he's been in outside, which can last season would have knocked his confidence, would have knocked his momentum. He still comes on and makes a difference. Diaz looks like he's never been away in terms of mm -hmm. that long-term injury and Salah's potentially having his strongest start to a season in terms of all-round play, if yeah, not goal-scoring. Yeah, yeah. He's mature, doesn't he? I mean, Steve, I think I was looking at Neil Mellor tweeted quite a decent graphic before of like the sort of the start, uh, the, everyone starts the season and ranking the games in, in terms of average position of the sides that they've played and, and difficulties and, and Spurs were top for the easiest games um, and I hadn't quite realised until I heard on a different podcast the other day when we were talking about Spurs that they've played Sheffield United, Luton and Burnley so far this season. I mean, if you think about promoted teams, they're probably three, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but probably three of the, the weaker promoted teams that we've seen come up at any one time. You know? The only reason all three aren't going down is if Bournemouth are worse. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of them's been beaten 8-0 already. Burnley look like they're playing completely different, the wrong style of football for them and Luton, you know, fair play to them for, for getting to where they are but they don't feel like they, you know, they're, they're going to stay like the main one side, don't know, yeah, exactly. So, I, I hadn't quite realised that Liverpool haven't played a single one of those teams. Tottenham have played all three. I mean, when you look at it like that, Steve, it, people get very excited, don't they? And I understand Tottenham fans obviously very excited, Liverpool fans were excited after, say, four games but when you step back a bit, and you look at the next run of fixtures Liverpool have got, it makes it a little bit more positive, doesn't it? Because you look at it and think, well, Liverpool will hope to pick up, I think from the next four, they would probably be hoping for almost maximum points, wouldn't they? Yeah, and I think when you sort of play the teams that Liverpool have played, if you play them and lose, you go into these sorts of games twitching and nervous. Yeah, yeah. And with, um, you're going into these games where, on the back of Brighton, they're probably centre resurgence, where they want to put, put things right. But I think with playing the likes of Chelsea, Spurs and Newcastle, that all among the top four, top six. They're going to be looking to sort of lay down a marker and they're being doubted week to week and they're showing that they shouldn't be written off. And I think it's very much now the case where to go into these games and hopefully these teams will be fearing Liverpool where you play these lesser teams and 
think we've seen against Sheffield United from the early kickoffs when they first got promoted back to the Premier yeah. League. There's very much a team on the front foot putting Liverpool under pressure. Liverpool yeah. sort of struggled at times, but he came through it in the end by a, a bit of a dodgy own goal by Dean Henderson, wasn't it? But I think Liverpool will be looking to to sort of smash through it and send a message to the rest of the Premier League that what you can do, what we can do just as good. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think playing those teams in the, the very, maybe the first two or three games is not the best time to play them because, like you said, they come up with a bit of confidence. Especially looking, with Fulham as well. Yeah, season. yeah, exactly. Looking, sort of Brentford as well, don't they? Yeah, like, yeah. Before. Looking to bounce into the Premier League and that their fans are up for it. But then after sort of, when you play them, hopefully now, when Liverpool are playing them in, in October, November, December, they've suffered quite a few defeats. They've started realising the level that they're playing at. Um, Injuries, tiredness, like yeah. they're not big squads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so Liverpool can hopefully turn the screw. I mean, we talked on the last podcast, and I'd stick with this. I, I, I still think, from what we were saying before, Liverpool's the process of their team and maturing. And I, and I do feel, Theo, that they've gone back to 2017, 2018, and they're sort of working their way back to where they are. But I, but I think this time they could do it quicker. I'm not sure whether you agree, but I think they could do it quicker because, like you mentioned before, they've got players in the squad who've won big trophies, who can pull their teammates along with them. They've got huge characters like Salah. You know, Klopp built that team basically from scratch, didn't he? You know, and and he's not having to do that this time. Um, and I and I do wonder with this season if it's one of those seasons where you've got like almost a transitional season in the Premier League, where Man City perhaps have to sell in a couple of people and bring a couple of people in, they sort of suffer a few more defeats. Tottenham become a surprise package, but whether they stick stick around, you know, can Liverpool sort of jump in there? Arsenal are they that good? What do you think? Is it is is that is that something they they could do? I think they should be aiming to do that. Uh, I think ten pieces of the puzzle are there. The one yeah. thing they're lacking is that enforcer in midfield. Yeah. If they had that proven holding midfielder, you'd say the title contenders absolutely. You're not just are we going for fourth? Are we going to have a good yeah. start to the season? We can build on fourth. Yeah. Like we've seen in McAllister and Sabosla, those are two very good number eight midfielders, even if we've not seen McAllister in that role. There's Jones and Elliot playing well when they're coming in. The back four, it just needs some games together to really get some form going, get some clean sheets going. But Alisson's in the best form of his Liverpool career by far. Some of the saves he's making at the moment are absolutely incredible week on week. We've already touched on that front five. Mm-hmm. It's a very good starting eleven almost. It's just that one position yeah. you need filling. And they've got the squad depth. Like a few injuries into the season now, and the bench is looking a bit lighter. But a couple of weeks ago, it was looking so strong when you were leaving players out of the squad. That team, that group, can challenge Man City. They can challenge Arsenal. They can challenge Spurs. Whoever you want to throw in that mix and go for the title, it's just about having that little bit of luck, oh, getting the results yeah. at the good times, yeah. having the players free from injury. Um, maybe they get a number six in January, and you can have that Diaz impact yeah. in when they nearly went for the quadruple. Like you need to, that fresh body in there to give them momentum. We saw it in seventeen eighteen with Van Dijk when Liverpool were scoring goals for fun. They weren't quite at it defensively, but then you put that right defensive player in it and it clicks. Yeah. So we'll see what they do in January, and that can determine what they can actually achieve this yeah. season. Yeah. But even if there isn't a season where they are challenging for the title come May, yeah. and it is just settling for third, fourth, you're fairly confident they're going to be even better next year. Like granted, Salah and Van Dijk are then a year older. But then so are your younger players, like your Joneses, your Saboslice, your mm-hmm. Trent, for example, as well. And when it's going to be a big thing to replace Van Dijk, replace Salah when that time comes, 
you're looking at a couple of years down the line when everyone else has moved along and then whoever comes in, it starts that cycle again. Yeah. We've got the experience, win one, we've won trophies, let's keep on and build this team. Like If your transitional period only proves to be one year, you've done very well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think Theo touched on something there to see that I think is really important that, that people sort of overlook is, is that luck is, does, does play a huge part. And I, I always think that big teams and the best teams and the most attacking teams or the ones that put most pressure on their opponents, they do make their own luck. You know, there's no, people talk about United getting penalties in the 90s, early noughties. Well, that's because probably they dominated so many games at Old Trafford that they were going to win more penalties. And down the other end, there was fewer incidents that they could catch them out and the odd ones that don't get given well that's because there, there aren't many for referees to make to make decisions on this feels different this year because i feel for, for all of liverpool's good play i can't really remember a game that they've had a great deal of luck in and you look at teams like tottenham they've obviously had they've had a big slice of luck with us and um, they scored a last minute winner didn't they against sheffield united um Scored two in stoppage time, didn't they? Two in stoppage time, sorry, yeah. And then and then Arsenal, you know, the City game the other day, I actually thought Arsenal played really well, but their winner was a huge slice of luck. And Liverpool had that when they won titles, you know, they, and, and then they won the Champions League and stuff. You you hang on in key moments, don't you? And big players pull you out of trouble. But it does feel weird because it feels like luck has kind of abandoned Liverpool this season. And um, if they can get a bit more luck, it would, it would certainly certainly change things for them, wouldn't it, Steve? I think the, the old cliche is it does even help throughout the, the rest of the season, doesn't it? I think. Do you think that? No, that's not the cliche yeah, going. Yeah, I think it's a load of yeah, nonsense. But yeah. I think there's been far too many seasons where Liverpool have sort of missed out on that transitional season yeah. where the, the big dogs sort of fall away and you see Leicester or someone yeah, swooping yeah. in surprise. And I think I think last season Liverpool were only missing one or two uh, missing pieces to sort of be a, a challenging team. Obviously, luck wasn't on Liverpool's side last season, but I think. This season's very much a, a massive season. If you see Rodri goes off the team at Manchester City and they, they drop in standards, and the luck will run out for the teams who are enjoying that, that stroke of fortune at the minute. I think it's one of them seasons for Liverpool where you look back and you watch the Premier League years and you think, how oh, haven't Liverpool been in and around it when those teams have somehow managed to win the leagues and they haven't? And Liverpool's ups always seem to coincide with another that, that's great that, that's team, exactly isn't it? Yeah, I, think, you know. I think this is the perfect season for Liverpool, and they've shown. They haven't. They've been maybe 75, 80% of the team they can be. I think there's a very much the mantle still there for them to sort of go out there and challenge for the title. Especially with if teams are dropping in standards, this is probably the perfect opportunity yeah. to, to be up there. Definitely, I think if they can stay in touch, into um, it's a long road ahead, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, but I think if they can stay in touch into sort of early spring, you know, um, sort of late winter, early spring, February, March, then then that's when they can turn the screw, hopefully, and, and attack it. Um, other teams that have impressed you, Theo, Tottenham obviously have done very well. Um, anyone impressed you? Anyone Anyone not impressed you so far this season? Uh, United haven't impressed me. They've no, been poor. No, I think their signings have been poor, haven't they? Signings have been poor. Like, on paper, they look like they've signed well. Yeah. Like, jury's always going to be out on whether it was the right call to get rid of De Gea yeah. and bring in Anana, but like, Mount was a good signing. Yeah. The striker, Holland, is that how you pronounce it? You know, the, is it the Danish lad? He, he looks good, doesn't he? Um, but then they've had injuries as well, so we're talking about luck. Yeah. If United have got a consistent back four, aren't they? And they're not mm. having to play Johnny Evans and uh, yeah. Harry Maguire, yeah. maybe they're in a better position. Uh, Chelsea, another team that haven't impressed me. I, I know we can say the teams that have impressed, and you look at Arsenal and Spurs, 
as we just pointed out here, they've had the easier fixtures. So the ones that I think caught my eye is like West Ham. Yeah, I know they're lower yeah, down the yeah, table, yeah. but they've had a really difficult run of fixtures mm. and they're still getting results. They're doing well mm. in Europe. They signed well with that Declan Rice money. Mm. And while I'm not going to say, oh, they're going to be challenging Liverpool at the end of the season, they're not going to be in top four, not going to be in top six. But that could be a side that if you get them, say, Europa League quarterfinals, that's suddenly a daunting yeah. prospect when Liverpool are playing like, for the, hopefully top four Premier League yeah. at the same time. Um, Brighton, again, yeah. they're a side that with European uh, commitments it's going to be a bit inconsistent yeah. but they're still a very strong side yeah. lots of key players yeah. I, mean, I suppose that's what we're going on with this season that there isn't any clear runaway side that is going to yeah. storm the title or be the title contenders it's going to be three or four sides in the mix and whoever falls away first that, that, that's the one who's going to drop out yeah. it's the sides that are below that who are exceeding expectations that you're going yeah it's going to be a good year for them Yeah, and, that, and then hopefully they can take points and that they will they will make this, Steve, hopefully more interesting because the likes of West Ham at home, we've already seen how dangerous they can be at home. They, they can take points off teams, can't they? Brighton, obviously, the same. And, uh, and maybe even out Liverpool's chances a little bit by, um, by doing so. Yeah, Who's impressed you, by the way, at best and worst team this season? I think I'd agree with you. Like I said, at the start of the season, I think United's numbers have been found out with, with Eric Ten Hag and it's sort of, sort of coming to fruition now. And I think game by game, they obviously... They, so maybe got slightly lucky against Brentford, but even at Crystal Palace, you see that these teams are going to big away grounds that they haven't won in in years, decades, and they're, they're yeah. coming and they're showing up. And I think just need teams to do that to City every yeah, often. Yeah, they? not Liverpool because it always seems to be Liverpool. But it's, it's hard, 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 hard to um, disagree with anyone that Theo said there. I think Brentford probably in a surprise package for the wrong reasons because they were obviously Thomas Frank's the second coming of the next best manager in the world, isn't he? From by all accounts, but. That sounds like a man doesn't like Thomas Frank. No, no, well, like Thomas Frank. No, yeah. it seems like a lot of teams are going through their own sort of ebbs and flows, and I think it's hard to sort of see. I think game by game in the Premier League, anyone's turning up, aren't they? So, yeah, I mean, United is an interesting one, isn't it? You know, I looked at their signs in the summer, and whilst I thought Mason Mount would have probably been a decent signing for Liverpool, I don't really think he's a decent signing for United. I think, I think under Klopp. And in Liverpool style midfield, he's a better player at United. I just don't know whether that that works. I'm glad um, it went the way it did, though. When you yeah. get to oh, yeah. instead, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and and that goalkeeper, Nana, just again, I don't know whether he's right for United right now. And, and I think it's funny with United because I think last season they kind of got away with they. He won a few PR battles, didn't he, with the likes of Ronaldo, I thought, Ten Hag, early doors. Then they got the League Cup final, they're doing really well in the league, they won the League Cup, and I think they've lived, he's almost lived off that, and then they kind of weren't that good for the rest of the year. You know, you don't get beat 7-0. I I don't think that should be acceptable, even just as a one-off result. I think it's really, really poor. And um, I look at them this season, and I just don't know whether Ten Hag, I think he's a good coach, is he as big a personality as, as um, they really need at that club? Well, if that dressing room fully turns on him and say they get knocked out of the Champions League group stages, he's in trouble at Christmas time. Mm. Like they're already looking like they could be under pressure in that Champions League group. Mm. And there's all the murmurings about like what's going on with Sancho and there's a few other players where it's not quite happening for them. Like Anana, he came in and they thought, oh, he's the keeper we need because look, he's just stood up to Harry Maguire, who's club captain. It's like, you made a mess for yourself there. Have yeah. you made any friends there? Do you, do you really embarrass your club captain? Whether you think he's right. good, bad, or you know, like a lot of the jury was always out on Henderson, wasn't it? Let's face it. 
But like, but it has been good for like, I don't know, a, a midfielder to come in and give Henderson a dressing down in front of everyone. It doesn't, it, you know, Maguire's confidence has been fragile for the best part of a year. That's not going to help him, is it? No, it's not. It's like that's why there is something wrong with that Man United camp. And like, we're in danger of doing what we did on Monday now and yeah, turning yeah. into no, the Blood United podcast. I, I think it's but, interesting talking about Liverpool's rivals and where they're at, and you know, compared to last season when I thought. These teams got ahead of Liverpool, but I don't really think they're necessarily What's happening were that far ahead. At United would never happen under Klopp at Liverpool. Like he's that strong manager, he's got a unity there, he's in control of absolutely everything. And while he's this laughing, joking, give you a hug manager, if you step out of line, you're out the door. And yeah. That's what happened with Mamadou Sacco for reasons mm. we don't quite understand. Like We know he broke a few rules, but it's never really come out what actually happened. But I don't, that, that, I, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't think in on that that maybe that much did happen. I just think the Klopp thought, well, something could happen here, and I'm not taking any chances. I want people who buy it. Yeah, exactly. That, I, that's the yeah, power he took. Yeah. Whereas United, they had no choice over Ronaldo. He made the decision, and then they spun it PR-wise. Oh, we've made the decision to get rid of him because we didn't mm. play him for a few games. And they've had other battles there as well. It, it's just a mess of a club, and it has been for well, pretty much ever since Ferguson retired and they've gone through these stages where they have competed for a little bit and when they've dropped off and under Ten Hag they like built up as he can be our, our Klopp he can be the one that brings in this new dynasty gets us right up to the standards we want it's, it's just not happening and he's got a lot of players that he's had when he was at Ajax well, Ajax are a mess now and they have been behind the scenes for a while um, it's just not maybe going in that direction they want but then they've tried managers who have had that authority before like Mourinho like Van Gaal and it's not worked either um, like Tottenham have had that same issue you know, we go for these big name managers and it's just not worked mm. for whatever reason they've not been right for the club sometimes it just doesn't click and Ange um, seems to have clicked for Spurs and we all know 7-8 years ago Jurgen Klopp clicked for Liverpool yeah. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo um, We won't spend too much more time discussing about United um, Best and worst for Liverpool this season in terms of players Steve um, who stood out, who probably... West is quite difficult, isn't it? Because I don't think there's anyone that's stumped the place out. But there's probably some people that could do with a little bit of improvement. I think it's easy the best is when you look at the, the summer signings, they've came in and you, you had no sort of expectation. And I think any expectation there was, they've exceeded it tenfold. And I think I think Dominic's office has got to be among the top of there. And I think I mentioned for, uh, for Darwin Nunes as well, for how much he sort of... Sort of took out them skeletons in his, in his closet and just got rid of them. He doesn't, he doesn't need them anymore. He's just been revitalised player. Do you need skeletons in your closet? <sighs> well, he's he, he got all the monkeys <laughs> off his back, hasn't he? He's been he's been revitalised as like a Liverpool player. And it's it's sort of he's paying a lot a lot of dues back that everyone sort of gave him credit for, or gave him the benefit of the doubt for last season. But on on the other side of the um, spectrum, it's obviously difficult for Thiago, especially with the year left on his contract. There's a lot of talk of him going on a free transfer. And he's set back after set back, but then. How many more senior midfielders can you lose? Because you don't know what sort of role he plays behind the scenes. But him leaving sort of leaves another position free. But he's not been there to sort of help out. But on the pitch, it's hard to really say who has had any real uh, bad experiences. Because Liverpool have been very good for the first eight games of the season. Yeah. Um, well, the obvious ones. Alisson's been a standout. Salah's been a standout. Sebastian's been a standout. Really been impressed with Joe Gomez. Like, it doesn't matter whether he's playing right back or whatever. He's played well. He's such an improvement from last year. Um, losers. I've not been impressed by Simicast when he started games against Leicester, against Lask. He's fragile defensively. He's been out-muscled. 
and you're just hoping it's because he's in and out the side. If he gets a run of games now, you want to see that gone, mm. get some rhythm, get some momentum there and show why you got a new contract. And to be fair to him as well, I think alongside a settled defence, the one thing I would, the asterisk I would always put on against any sort of Europa League game at the moment or, or League Cup game is any of these players that come in after play against play with such heavily rotated yeah. Especially with a big Europa. That, yeah, yeah. So, so go on, sorry. Um, Jota, you can't really call him a loser because he's still scoring goals, but he's not played well. Like He seemed to have a good pre-season. You think he could be first choice here for the start of the season. And he sort of dropped down the pecking order. He's still getting the mm. goals, but no one's picking him Isn't as the first Jota? choice. Yeah, it is. I suppose he's he that game-changing Jota. substitute who can get the goals. But he still wanted a bit more from him because Nunes will get better, Gakpo will get better, and Jota just hasn't had that same rise. But then maybe he's a player who's going to score some massive goals for Liverpool at the business end of the season, as he has done before. Um, he's still a very useful player to mm -hmm. have in that camp. Um, granted, a silly red card. Like We can debate the first yellow card against Spurs all we like, but yeah. the second one was very silly. He got himself sent off. That was at a bad time for his side and left Liverpool short against Brighton as well. Like You're looking at that bench against Brighton and there was no one who you could bring on to mm -hmm. go and win us the game. That would have been a, a role for Jota. Yeah. But then other than like Thiago, like Besetic... There isn't really any losers there because Liverpool, they're either at your expectations or exceeding them slightly, depending how optimistic, pessimistic you are. Like, Pesetic has taken a step back with these injuries. Like, last year, he was first choice. He's like, great, we've got a number six now. He's Fabinho's replacement. He is the future. But now, even if he shrugs off these setbacks and he's fit, you don't see him getting in that starting 11 for a while. Like, he's going to take time to get back up to the standard to get uh, ahead of the players or the new signings, the likes of Jones and Elliot, who are in confidence and in form. But he's still only a teenager. He doesn't need to be this overnight sensation. It might be one where we see him play like 10 starts in a season for a couple of years, yeah. and then he comes again. But for the majority of the squad, it's been a very good start, and that's why Liverpool have had a good start to the season, and certainly a massive improvement on last year. Absolutely, yeah. Go along with that. So Bosley has been, been brilliant, uh, you know, all round. Um, an absolute winner. Darwin Nunes, I think, has been a winner just in the sense that, yeah, I agree with you, Steve. I think there's been a bit of a mentality shift. I think it's starting to look like he feels like he belongs. Salah is just outrageous. I mean, his numbers are always great, aren't they? But even when he doesn't score every game, he's involved in everything good Liverpool do and, and, and is always decisive. So those three, probably my first three, but Gomez obviously for, for obvious reasons has, has been good. I think Matip has been a little bit of a winner in the sense that he's got himself back into the team and, and in the same, by the same token as Kanate done as well as perhaps he'd hoped. I think Kanate might have wanted to be a, you know, a sort of a guaranteed starter and that's not happened. So the other one I think, the difficult one, uh, I think Jones has played well, but I think Elliot's um, I just look at Elliot now and wonder. I think it was a bit of a big opportunity for him in the last game. Obviously, brought off in the half ta half time, and, and just doesn't look like he quite fits. And that, that's my big worry for Elliot now. Is I really like him as a, in terms of his technique, but I, I think he's been found out a little bit in terms of on the right hand side, cutting on his left. I think teams limit him doing that a little bit and pushing wide where he's not. He, he doesn't quite have the pace or the, the, the strength to sort of impact on the game as much and I just wonder where Liverpool use him next um, so January could be huge 
because with Salah will go off to AFCON, yeah. will he be the right winger or will they use the, the recognised options and still keep him as a, yeah. a midfield player? Yeah. If we're talking winners, we'll see Sobosley as well. He's Sobosley can play there as well. Yeah. We're yeah. talking winners, we've got to throw Crancer in there as well. Too, yeah, yeah. He's had a great start yeah. to the season, only played a few games it's on loan at Bristol Rovers. Yeah. I still think Liverpool need a new centre back in terms yeah. of Matip will probably go next yeah. summer, Van Dijk's oh, older, yeah. but you're not necessarily going, we need a young one to be that fifth choice. Yeah. You can look more for like a Rag McLaven who can do a job. Or someone who can be, right, you'll take a Matip's place in the squad, you could be first choice now, as opposed to being a bit more conservative. Yeah, I, th- I think Quanta needs to do that over a course of a season to, to convince me that that's what they'd have to do. But I, but I certainly think it's very promising. I would like to see more of him. Certainly the Europa League is great. The Europa League can be great for some of these young players, yeah. and it's great for him, um, as is the League Cup. So, yeah, um, we'll start wrapping this up, but really quickly before we do... Um, Steve, what will we be saying next time we're sitting here international break, thinking of something to talk about? <laughs> will we be saying, brilliant start to the season, could have done better? What do you think about the next fixtures? I'm going to sit on the fence, I don't know. But it, 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 oh, you can't be sitting on the fence. No, no fence sitting here. Come on, get off the fence. Um, I, I don't accept it. I'm going to bring the pessimism out. It, it, pessimism out? Yeah, it all depends on how Liverpool come back. That's it? fence sitting. I'm um and an hour, and I, I think we could be sitting here in a similar position. I think Liverpool have been very good in aspects, but I think there is still those other side things where there's not entirely 100% where they're nailed on, where they can't be relied upon. Because you've seen against Brighton, obviously, they had a 2-1 lead. It could have been 3-1, but took the foot off the gas, and there's still, still some slight errors in the defence. And I just think there's going to be a few more problems to come, especially with we don't know how long Robertson's out for as well. Everton, Brentford, Luton, those types of teams to come. Theo, are you going to be Mr Pessimism like Steve? Or, or, or no, I reckon it's a really nice run of fixtures coming up. Is it three of them at home? Luton away, slightly more daunting just because it is away. It's a mm-hmm. big test for them. Like, welcome that. And they did all right against Spurs at the weekend. Granted, mm-hmm. that was, what, 10 men. Mm-hmm. But you'd like to think, as you said earlier in the podcast, Liverpool get 10, 12 points out of this. And when Arsenal are going to have a tougher run, uh, Spurs are going to have a tougher run, City are going to have a tougher run. You're looking at top two at the end of this month, surely. At the end of this month, under this run going into the yeah, Arsenal break. Yeah. And then what are you being welcomed back to after the November break? Man City away. That That is your test. Yeah, if you yeah. can make sure you're in top two, you have an unbeaten run, and then you go into the Etihad, go, come at us, boys. We're going to make a massive statement yeah. here. If you get then get a result at the Etihad, they haven't in the Premier League, I don't think, under Klopp, apart from his first season. We're knowing whether we're talking about Liverpool or they, title. They got a draw there one year, didn't they? I remember them get the draws there but yeah they don't they don't get many points there yeah so. but that, that is the chance mm-hmm. build some confidence now keep the rest of your squad injury free mm-hmm. more goals for the forwards get a couple of clean sheets in mm-hmm. there get through that international break and then take something off City and we can say right title challenges this year boys I, I think I think the next game Everton is going to be a tough test because I think the way Dyche will set up and the way Everton will will approach the game will yeah, make things difficult 12.30 it will make things difficult for Liverpool but if they can get through that and I think it could be um, it wasn't last year's derby, was it? it? Was the year before where it was just a bit of a rubbish game, and Liverpool scored late on. Robbers, right? Yes, that was late in the season, wasn't it? it was yeah, two 0 Origi scored as yeah, well late on. I kind of think if it's that sort of game where Liverpool can just not allow Everton to unsettle them, and that they can make it tell late on, and then the next fixtures after that they can take points. So, and with you, Theo, I, I really think there's been a lot, lot of good, and I think they can go into the next few. And really turn the screw and go into that city game with a bit of confidence, and you know if you can get a point there, then 
than we really are in the conversation. So let's hope they are. Um, let's hope we can get through the rest of this international break without trying to fill too much time. Um, we'll be back on Monday where we'll be filling plenty more time. Um, and we will see you then. That's all right. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 